Our guest today on Developmentor is a developer, tech writer, and, to use her own words, sometimes journalist, who has held down a variety of roles in tech over the years. A graduate of Beloit College with a degree in journalism and media studies, Carolyn Stronsky spent the first few years of her career in roles like communications management and technical writing, before deciding to go to Spiced Academy, a boot camp based on full-stack development in Berlin, Germany. Since that career change, she's held down roles in front-end development and software engineering, as well as technical writing and freelancing, both as a developer and as a journalist. Over her career, she's worked for the likes of Contentful, Blacklane, Mishkin, and is now on her own as a freelancer. Be sure to stay tuned as we get the scoop on Carolyn Stronsky's career in tech and journalism. You're listening to the Developmentor Podcast, hosted by Grant Ingersoll. We have one goal on the show, to help you build a successful career in tech, no matter where you're from or where you're going. We do this by showcasing interesting people working across a variety of roles in tech and deep dive into their why. If you want to learn more, please visit our website at developmentor.com or follow us on Twitter at developmentor. Hey, Carolyn, thanks for joining me on Development, or so glad to have you here. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm glad to be here. And I trust you are doing well in Berlin, one of my favorite cities. I've had a few guests on from Berlin now, and it always makes me want to come and visit. I trust you are doing well there. Yeah, it's great. A bit rainy. We're starting to get into the German winter, which is gray and rain. But besides that, good. (laughs) Yeah. But as I understand it, you grew up in Seattle, so I'm assuming it feels like home. Oh, exactly. I love it. It's just a little colder here. (laughs) That's the only thing I don't like. Pro tip for our listeners, if you're going to visit Berlin, uh, May and June are absolutely amazing. Almost always go visit then. Everything is green and fresh and the sun stays out all (laughs) practically all night. So uh, it's a lot of fun. So, yeah, I would encourage our listeners. But, hey, this is not a travel show, although I would love to do that as well. But I would love to start off, Carolyn, you know, before we get into that transition into tech, I would love to have you take us back a little bit as as you headed off to college. And what inspired you to get into journalism? Was there some pull there from earlier on or as you got into college, you decided, hey, this is the thing for you? Yeah, so I went into university knowing I wanted to study journalism and being like, no matter what happens, I'm going to be a journalist, which ironically, you know, you all know didn't actually happen. But I was on my school newspaper in high school, and I just really loved it. I saw like the role of journalism as like a civil servant, the idea that you are the one who's providing information to the people, you are being able to kind of, it's so cheesy, but like give a voice to the voiceless, you can amplify people's message. It's a lot of power. And I, I don't know, I always was drawn to it. 
Yeah, well, so that, that's interesting. I mean, uh, you end up in the middle of nowhere, Wisconsin, <laughs> I guess is the way to think about where, where your university is. But I'm then curious, you know, you come out of the gate after graduating, you went into work as a writer and a communications manager for several tech companies. I'm curious, what was your early career mindset as you were graduating and as you were thinking about next steps? Yeah, so I had what I thought was a pretty clear plan at the end of university. So I did part of my senior year of university in Washington, D.C., doing a journalism program at American University. And I really thought I was going to be a political reporter. I thought I would move to D.C. I would become, you know, really entrenched in the politics, like U.S. politics, foreign politics, and be kind of a breaking news reporter or something like that. Like that was kind of the goal. When I went on that program, I met a boy. It's like the oldest story. So, and he's from Berlin. So that's how I then ended up here because I didn't have a specific job lined up after university at that point. So, you know, we talked about it and we were like, what if I just come to Berlin and see what happens? And that's what I ended up doing. And yeah, sorry, that was like a long pause. <laughs> no, no, that's fascinating. I mean, uh, you know, that's one of the best reasons there is for making a, a life change like that, right? You know, so. Well, so I'm curious then, you know, you, you basically then pack up your bags and, and move to Berlin. What was that like for you landing in another country? I mean, did you speak German? How did you land there and kind of figure out, okay, what's next? Yeah, so I had no idea what to expect. The only thing I knew about Germany was the stereotypes that all Americans know, and Berlin is pretty much nothing like any of those. I had never been to Germany before, but I figured if it didn't work, I could always leave. Like, that was always my mentality. And when I came here, it was difficult. I mean, as far as trying to figure out my career, I mean, the idea of, like, journalism jobs in general is pretty difficult to find. And then also, you know, in a foreign country where I don't speak the language, that just ended up being kind of a big blocker for me. So I started researching how I could maybe find work in English, because I also needed a visa to stay here. Like I'm not married or anything. So I needed to find a visa supporting job. So I couldn't just, you know, do random gigs. And I ultimately found out that Berlin has a tech startup scene. And a lot of the offices here, their primary language is English. That was how I transitioned to tech. I sent literally hundreds of applications and CVs for anything that sounded relevant, like communications, marketing. I think I even applied for a few like customer service roles, just Anything I could maybe qualify for, I sent an application. Oh, wow. So like, I mean, really grinding it out at this point, right? Of, of just flat out hustling to find a way to stay there. Because I'm assuming like you were on a travel visa. So what, you have like 90 days to, to land something? Exactly. Germany's nice because you can change your visa while you're living here. So, you know, you don't have to apply in advance when you're at home. But it's definitely that time pressure. You you feel it. Yeah. And I suppose you could travel to other parts of Europe and then come back and all that. But that's just a whole lot of hassle, especially if you're there because you want to be with somebody, right? You know, for me, it was really difficult to try to convince employers that I was in it for the long run. Because a lot of people pass through Berlin. You know, they come for a year. They kind of 
do their thing and then leave. And a lot of the people I was interviewing with were like, you just got here. How do you even know if you're going to like it? How do you know you're going to stay? Well, so how did you, you know, so you, you landed at, I think you got an internship and then, and, and then landed at a, a company. Like, how did you convince them? And then, and then what was it like actually now you're, you're actually working for a tech company? Sounds like your prior passion was political journalism, not exactly adjacent. How did you approach those first few jobs? How did I convince them? I was willing to work for almost no money. Like I got paid so low in my first job. So, but it was enough to get to qualify for a visa. So, you know, that was a positive, but that was really how I convinced them. Also, I learned eventually that mentioning that I have a partner who's German really helped because then people saw it as more of a long-term commitment being here. Yeah. So the first, at least that role and the role after what do you exactly do you want to know? Yeah, no, I'm just curious now. So now you're actually working at a tech company and, and, you know, and that presumably leads to this inspiration that you're going to go to a boot camp. So I'm kind of curious now, you know, walk our listeners through this transition into tech. Yeah. My first job was at a company that worked with blockchain. So I really dove right into some sort of complicated technology um, and really getting used to hearing like the jargon and the dialogue and the way people approach problems and how they do that. And I think for me, that was, it was a bit overwhelming at first, like trying to get used to also like tech and all of the things that come with technology, but also startups and everything that comes with that. Because almost all of the startups I've worked for are all early stage. So what is a venture capitalist? How do we get our money? What do we need to do to get the next phase of money? How do these phases work? All of those things were also like simultaneous things that I needed to learn along with any technical vocabulary. Had to navigate through that, had to navigate through when you're working in a marketing role, you're not a journalist. So for example, I got in trouble a lot in my past jobs for writing, you know, blog posts that said like our exact financial figures or... (laughs) our exact like retention numbers, which, you know, spoiler alert, when you're marketing, you're supposed to spin it, you're supposed to make things sound positive and encouraging. And I was just like, here are all of our numbers for the world. Yeah, probably not a standard marketing fair, although, you know, maybe some users would appreciate the transparency. So you you never know. Well, and, and nothing like diving into the deep end uh, with blockchain and, and the like. So, you know, so it's one thing to work in marketing and, and, and or sales or things like that for a tech company. And we've had some guests on in the past in those roles and absolutely critical to growing startups. But then, you, you know, you decide to take some time and go to, I think it was called the Spiced Academy. Is that right? And actually do, I think, uh, like it was a 12 week, pretty intensive program. Tell me about like, how did you decide that I want to learn to code? So while I was working in marketing, the company that I worked for before going to the boot camp actually filed for insolvency and went bankrupt and closed their doors. So I kind of knew at that point that that was, I don't know, do you ever have those moments where you like look at your life and you're like, this is a pivotal moment. (laughs) That's how I felt with this company closing. It was really a moment of being like, if I'm going to make a change in my career, I need to do it now. And this is the time. And I always thought that that moment would lead me back to journalism. Like I thought, okay, I would be ready and then go back into journalism. But 
still that kind of stability factor always came in, you know, this idea of I need a visa, I need to stay here, I would like to pay off my student loans, I would like to be able to live a comfortable life and a stable life in this country with my partner. So looking at my options, I decided like to, yeah, explore what it would be like to be a developer. In all my past roles, developers were always treated way better than everyone else. They got paid way more than everyone else. They seemed to have more flexibility in their work schedule and how they do things. So I figured it would give me that sort of, I don't know, work and financial freedom. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, so then how did you pick that particular boot camp and what did you do to prepare for it? Yeah, so while I was in my marketing roles, I was trying to learn to code. I, you know, would bug our developers on our team and I would do things like Code Academy. I bought some books, but I wasn't progressing. I always hit these blockers and I didn't really know who to ask. And it was hard to figure it out on my own. So I knew I wanted like a classroom structure. I knew I wanted someone to be there, like a teacher who's like paid to answer my questions. You know, someone who I could bug as much as I want and would be able to explain these concepts to me. And I was looking at different options and I liked Spiced because they were full stack JavaScript. I figured that it would probably be difficult to learn to code you know, it's a totally new way of thinking and just a new way of working. So I thought, okay, at least if the syntax stays the same, front end and back end, that will be hopefully a bit easier to digest than, you know, other programs in Berlin do JavaScript on the front end and Ruby on the back end. So I wanted that to stay consistent. Learning one language for your first language can be hard enough. Having to learn two or more right off the bat can be much more difficult. So was there anything in particular then that you did to prepare for it? Like some of these boot camps I know have like prep work you have to do these days. Did you have to do any of that? Yeah, there was a bit of prep work. So, you know, some HTML, CSS basics and starting to dip your toes into JavaScript and writing scripts and functions and things like that. But I fully admit that I did not do a lot of that because I had learned HTML and CSS in university. I had one professor who was like, ah, you are all journalism majors. You need some employable skills. So here, (laughs) I'm going to teach you how to code. And it was a web design course. So it went along with it. Yeah. So then, but the JavaScript, I just, I was so stuck. I couldn't figure it out. I, it took me so long to figure out that you can name functions, whatever you want. I thought there was like a list that someone had to point you to. So I just was stuck. So I waited and thought, okay, I'll just figure it out once I get there. Yeah. Well, th- having that teacher <laughs> who was paid to answer your question, right? Exactly. Uh-huh. And Spice is at the time was brand new. It was really early in, you know, becoming a school they like there were six people in my cohort. And now I think each cohort has almost 30 people. I don't think at that time they were as concerned with, you know, me finishing my coursework and doing that. I think it was just kind of like, oh, you're willing to do this? Okay, come on. Yeah. So you you had some benefit there of being uh, early on in their uh, their life. Well, so what was the actual experience like? Because this is like 12 weeks. Was it nights and weekends? Or was this like full time, you know, all day, totally immersive? So it was all day, totally immersive. I was always at the school for at least eight hours. 
But I realized really quickly that that wouldn't be enough, like, you know, just attending and doing just that. So I ended up studying almost every night. I spent the weekends working on our projects that we were given. It was really intense. It was probably the most amount of work that I've ever done in such a short capacity of time. It was really difficult. I cried a lot. I almost quit like three times. So <laughs> it was hard. I've, I've heard that from, uh, we've had a few other boot camp uh, survivors, if you will, on in the past, and they all say the same thing, but so worthwhile in, in the long run. What then do you wish you knew about doing a boot camp? Uh, what, what do you wish you knew when you started now that you reflect back on it? Like maybe a, a tip for somebody who's heading off to this for the first time and is like not quite sure what to expect or what they should do. I wish I would have realized earlier that programming for many is a new way of thinking. Like if you're not used to breaking down problems into logic and kind of putting everything in particular orders and I don't know where I'm going with that, but you know, it's a new way of thinking and it's a completely new approach to what you might be used to, especially if you come from a more creative field, I think. And not saying that code can't be creative, but I think when you're learning, you know, the basics of JavaScript, those are things that <laughs> have a pretty strict like syntax and approach. So I wish I would have known that earlier because then I would have come in just fully fresh, you know, and receptive. And I think I was so stuck on, okay, here's how I normally do things. So I'm just going to code the same way. Yeah, for sure. The building blocks of programming, just like a lot of things, right? The building blocks of English or a, a given language aren't all that uh, creative, but the way you can combine them together, of course, are. So, you know, tie it together for me a little bit, this writing and journalism alongside your work as a developer. How do they play off each other? How do they complement each other? Where and how do they compare and contrast, if you will? Yeah, that's what I'm figuring out, honestly. I am every single day trying to figure out how those two can interact, how one day maybe they can be combined together. So it's fluxed throughout my entire, you know, time in tech. I've always tried to still be writing and still be, you know, involved in writing, but it's completely changed the types of topics that I cover, for example, because I've realized that, you know, as someone who works in tech and as a developer, I have a perspective that maybe other journalists don't necessarily have. So I can cover topics, you know, related to technology and intersections of technologies and humans and activism and politics in a different way. And I can kind of validate tech as I'm covering it. So I would have never imagined covering topics related to technology. For example, I've written articles on sex tech or what to do if you get doxxed or you know, just anything that has that intersection. And I don't know, I'm hoping that one day I can figure out a more meaningful way to do it together. You know, maybe being an engineer that works on products that journalists use, maybe being a journalist who also does data visualizations. I don't know. I'm still kind of figuring out what that next step will be. Yeah, it reminds me a little bit of, we've had one other uh, person on the show, uh, Simon Willison, who is kind of straddles this line between developer and journalist. He, he does a lot of work. He used to work for The Guardian and and does a lot of work on 
data visualization and he's a lot of the way he thinks about these things is like how do i create tech that helps journalists you know break the news right because you don't have that time and luxury to do all the the analysis when you're on sitting on a breaking story so i would encourage our listeners to go check out that prior episode as well that's really interesting i mean it, it comes to mind you know like somebody like a kara swisher or others who cover tech at, and bring a depth of understanding around tech but then also are acting in a journalist role and, you know, kind of going back to your earlier goals of, you know, that old uh, cliche of holding truth to power. Right? Um, so, yeah, I'm sure you'll you'll figure that out. Uh, coming back then, so you're coming out of boot camp. You know, it's one thing to go through one of these things. It sounds it's pretty intense. How did you go about landing that first software job? How did you prepare for the interviews? You know, what, what are some practical tips for our listeners who are in, either in a boot camp or thinking about going to a boot camp who then want to land that first job? Yeah, so I was in what I would call a really privileged position when I came out of boot camp because I'd already worked in tech for two years. You know, they might have been in a marketing capacity, but I was familiar with the scene in Berlin. I was familiar with the companies. I had connections with people who were developers. So that instantly helped me really because I knew exactly kind of what I wanted. What really helped me stand out was being able to fuse my past career with what I wanted to do in the future. So as a journalist, I learned how to communicate information. That's essentially what journalism is. And with, you know, working in web development, I wanted to go in the front end engineering. So I wanted to then be able to communicate and display information on a web page. So <laughs> that was kind of my link that I did. And kind of finding those intersections between what I learned from working in communications and journalism and what you need to be doing as a developer to be successful and finding ways to kind of pitch myself like that. It doesn't work for everyone because I know some people who go into, you know, a career change really want to leave behind their old career. They want almost nothing to do with it. So if you're making a clean break like that, that obviously won't work. But if you're a little bit more open to explaining to employers how your past skills will influence your work as a developer or how you think they might, I think that can be a real advantage. Yeah, for sure. And this is one of the things I love on this show is there's so many people who, who you know, describe it that way. And I think it's so important, right? Because, you know, you, it's that uh, old country song. I don't know if it's old, but it always comes to mind for me. He's, you know, bless the broken road, right? That led you to where you are, right? And Broken is probably not the right analogy, but like you are the sum of all of these parts, right? And, and, and then some. And so to take away your journalism from you would actually be diminishing your role as a developer too. And I think that's so important. I know for me, like I spent a lot of time out on the road doing sales things and that made me a way better developer. I, I did training, like just the sheer fact or the sheer work of doing training for instance, uh, will make you a much better developer. Because, you know, similar to what you're describing, Caroline, is you have to learn how to communicate. And that's, you know, as I've had other guests on are like, you know, 
software development's a team sport, right? So you you have to be effective as a developer. You hold down a few of these roles in in development. I'm kind of, you know, tell me a little bit about what are some of the key lessons you learned about yourself and your career as you then worked for several startups as a developer? Basically, I'm still figuring out where I'm going and I'm still figuring out what it means for me to be a developer, to work in tech, how to be happy doing something like that. I don't really know if I am yet. And so that's why my CV is a bit of, it's a map. It's a journey. It's something like that. I tend to switch roles pretty quickly because I'm still trying to figure out what I want. So if I figure out in a role that there's something that's missing or something I would rather be exploring, I take that opportunity because I think, you know, I'm early in my career, I can kind of do that work now and then, you know, figure it out from there. For example, like right out of my boot camp, I went into a technical writing role because I thought, okay, perfect, you know, technical, I can code now, writer, I used to write for a living, combined together, perfect. But then I realized when I was working in that role that I was really... I felt personally very hindered by the fact that I'd never worked as a developer. I didn't understand developer workflows. I didn't understand what it's like to build a feature together in an engineering team, you know, because I'd only done like siloed projects on my own or building tutorials or whatever. So then I moved pretty quickly on to a front end development role. So that's kind of my mentality is I try to figure out like what's in this role what's working for me, what's not, and would it be appropriate to try something new? Yeah, I think that's so important early on in the career is getting exposure. I mean, this is one of the real benefits of going to Silicon Valley, right? Is that, you know, and I'm not saying people should do that, but Berlin's much this way as well. There's this massive tech scene. There's so many startups, there's many established companies. And so you get exposure to ideas and you get exposure to different ways of doing things. And that's so critical early on in a career. Well, so that kind of brings it forward. You know, these days you're on your own, right? As a freelancer, you're still doing writing, but you're also doing development and you're doing technical writing as well. Tell me a little bit about that move to be on your own. I'm only on my own until December and then I have a new job. So I don't know if you want to include that. No, that's a, that's great. So, well, so tell me a little bit then about like, was this just a, a transition period while you figured out what you wanted to do next? Or was this uh, part of a plan? It wasn't part of a plan. I'll tell you that it was, yeah, this kind of transition. So something I've also learned, and I think is difficult to accept, if this makes sense, hear me out, is when you're working in like startup land, and you're in these different roles. I mean, startups are unpredictable, pretty much, you know, you have no idea what it's going to be like until you really join. And there's limited options for movement, typically within an organization especially if the organizations are smaller. Most of the companies I've worked for are 30 people or less. There's not a bunch of room to move. And so my last role that I held full-time was really early stage, like still figuring out what the product was. I joined the team as the fourth person and third employee. So really early trying to figure out what's going on. And then realizing that that type of like startup and situation didn't work for me at the point of my career that I'm at now. I'm still pretty early on as a developer. I still feel like I benefit a lot from structure and mentorship. And that's a lot harder to achieve when you're trying to as quickly as possible bootstrap a company. 
So right now I'm just in a transition phase, I would say. Well, and you're doing some uh, doc writing again, as, yeah. as I understand it, right? For uh, Google, was it Google Season of Docs? Is that right? Yeah. Yeah, no, and that, that's great. I mean, I think, you know, this is so important, right, Carolyn, is recognizing what doesn't work for you as well. That's just as important as recognizing what does. So, well, so then kind of bringing this on home with a couple of last questions, uh, you know, what's been the most surprising thing about your career to date? You know, what would 18-year-old Carolyn be like, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this? I mean, I'm not a journalist. <laughs> <laughs> You're not a journalist. Yeah, that's probably an easy one. <laughs> that's something I'm most shocked about. But if we're talking about particulars in tech, you already mentioned it. You said like software as a team sport. That was the most surprising thing for me getting into tech was just, I figured that, you know, because there's always this stereotype about developers. They're living in basements and they wear hoodies and they don't talk to anyone else, you know, and and I was really looking forward to that. I was like, awesome. I would love a career where I don't have to talk to anyone else. But then I realized that like communication is so much more essential. You do things all together way more than writing. Writing's way more isolated. Like, so I kind of figured it would be the same structure. Like with writing, you get an assignment, you go off on your own for whatever amount of time, and then you come back, you get some edits, you go back on your own. There isn't a lot of like day-to-day -day collaboration. Versus, so I thought software would be similar. You get your ticket, you go away for a few days, you come back, the ticket's done, everyone's fine. I'm trying to even think back in my career. I mean, I maybe worked at one or two places where it was kind of like that, but we were super small and not even a startup, just a small business. And so it was like I was the only developer. <laughs> so, <laughs> but even that, you still had a, a lot of interactions. Carolyn, Really great to have you on the show. Two final questions. You know, as, as you kind of look back on all of this, you know, what's your best career advice? What would you tell anybody else who's, you know, starting off on this path or perhaps your younger self? It sounds really negative, but I think sometimes it's necessary. I think there are certain points in your career where you need to set aside personal happiness to be happy and successful in the long run. Yeah. Tell me a little bit more about that. I like digging on that for a little bit more, because I think that's so true. You know, I think we always project our careers as, you know, especially in the social media world, everything's up and to the right. But, um, you know, tell me a little bit more about that for you. As I've explained earlier, I've had some really like practical barriers to, you know, quote unquote, following my dreams. So yeah, this limitation of a visa, wanting to be in this country with this person and wanting to do these things. And at certain, like I wasn't able to do that in journalism, even though that was and still probably is the thing that I would want to be doing with my career and my life. But in the long run, I think like setting aside that kind of, oh, I need to be really fulfilled by my career. I need to be doing the thing that I've always dreamed of, follow your dreams, blah, blah, blah. Like being able to set that aside and be like, okay, what can I do in this short term? I mean, five years is maybe not super short term, but in the long run, it is pretty short. Like, what can I do to kind of build stability and build a foundation and do that? So then maybe later I can do something that I really want to. And I mean, there's different philosophies on this. Some people are really like, you know, you should seize every day, you should be doing something that you really enjoy every single minute of every single day. But I think practically, that can't always happen. If it does, I think that's really great. And you've clearly done something 
really right. But I don't think it does. And I think it's perfectly okay to, this would actually be maybe my advice for especially people who change careers kind of reluctantly, like I did, where there's a lot of people in tech who really love what they do. And I mean, that's great. I had a colleague once who I went to lunch and he was like, isn't it just so great that we can get paid every day to like do our hobby and do something we love? And I was like, I don't, to me it's a job. And I think that is totally okay. Sometimes that perspective gets really squashed underneath all of the passion and love for software that people have. But I think it's okay to make a decision that will put you and your family in a better position, whether it's like financially, I would say mostly financially. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, you're working, right? Yeah. I appreciate that so much. I think that's spot on. I think I'm not one of those follow your dreams type. I, I tend to subscribe more to the Cal Newport. Uh, if you've read his book or for our listeners, I'll throw it out there. I think it's called So Good They Can't Ignore You. It's much more about developing that by getting good at things. And then the passion flows from following your ideas, following, you know, exploring your space around you and then getting good at those things and then building on top of it. So I, I, I appreciate that very much. I think the follow your dream stuff is, you know, unless you have a really clear dream from early on uh, or it really emerges really strongly for you, there's just a lot to be said for getting a job, doing your work and then figuring it out as you go. You know, I've been in tech for almost exactly five years now. And I have spent so much of that being sad and upset that I'm not like doing what I thought I would be doing. Like that I'm not a full-time journalist, that I'm not doing that. Really, I've cried so much and just spent so much time being like upset and angry that I'm in tech, you know, even though it's a decision that I made. And I'm trying to figure out, I'm at this point in my career where Yes, I do still feel sad, but I'm trying to, it doesn't help me. Like it doesn't help me to think about what could have been or what my career, like what I should be doing instead and what would happen if I quit my job tomorrow and followed my dreams. Like that doesn't help me day to day. It probably just makes things worse. So I'm trying to figure out what's a good balance. Like how can I find a place working in the tech industry that I don't mind going to it every day? It pays my bills. And then how can I maybe use that to leverage something that I might like later? So that's kind of where I'm at right now with the thinking. I'm trying to be like less sad and more, you know, figuring out where my place is here. Yeah. Well, and focus on what you can control. I think that's the Stephen Covey, the old uh, Stephen Covey uh, uh, mantra, you know, focus on what you can control and then and then try to grow from there. That is the most spot-on practical advice uh, I've heard in a long time for finding your way in this moment. So I appreciate you that sharing that very much, Carolyn. Final question for you. It's been amazing to have you on the show. This one's a total softball. Where can our listeners best follow you, learn from you, uh, engage with your content, perhaps read your writing? Yeah, of course. So I have a website, which is workwithcarolyn.com. I use it as kind of a catch-all for everything software development and freelance journalism related. So I would say there, I spend way too much time on Twitter as well. I'm at carolstran, which is C-A-R-O-L-S-T-R-A-N. Yeah, I spend a lot of time there. So (laughs) probably the best way to get in touch. 
That's fantastic. And as always, for our listeners, we'll link that up in the show notes. Carolyn, so great to have you on. I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to join me here. Of course. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for taking the time to listen to the Developmentor podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. Even better, please leave us a review. If you want to hear older episodes, leave feedback, or sign up to be a guest, please visit us at developmentor.com. If you'd like to support the show, there are three ways you can help out. One, make a donation via Patreon. Two, if you're a software engineer looking for your next gig and wanting to practice interviewing, use our referral link to the interviewing.io platform. And three, buy your next tech book from Manning Publications using our affiliate link. All of those links can be found at developmentor.com slash support dash us. That's S-U-P-P-O-R-T dash U-S. All one word. Most importantly, if you like this show, please tell your friends. Referrals are the lifeblood of any podcast. Finally, we here at Developmentor hope that each and every episode helps you move one step closer to finding your path.